The topics and opinions expressed on the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4WN Radio. Good evening. Welcome to Fearless Fabulous You. I am your host, Melanie Young, and this is your Empower Hour for Women. Each week I bring you inspiring women and health and wellness experts to talk about the things that matter to you and most important, healthy living. You can follow me on Twitter at Mighty Melanie, Facebook, Fearless Fabulous Melanie Young, and my website, www.melanie.com. Melanie, M-E-L-A-N-I-E, young.com. Tonight we are going to address, uh, the whole show is uh, dedicated to National Family Caregivers Month, which is this month, and the importance of nutrition. When you are caring for a loved one who may be going through a major illness like cancer, uh, as both a food professional and a cancer survivor myself, I truly want to underscore the importance of nutrition as well as exercise and stress management and hydration for maintaining your health not only during a debilitating illness but also after. And I am delighted to introduce my guest tonight. Uh, We have with us Susan Bratton, who is the founder and CEO of Meals to Heal, and Jessica Iannota, who is a master's in science, a registered dietitian, CSO, CDN, she'll tell you what those mean, and the chief operating officer of Meals to Heal, which is a very unique company that provides nutrition support and nourishing meal delivery service to people with cancer. Uh, the story of how it was started is fascinating, and I am going to start by introducing Susan Bratton, who I've known for many years, who was there for me when I was going through cancer treatment, and because of her own experience, decided to leave investment banking to start this company, which is, has an incredible conscience. So welcome, Susan, and welcome, Jessica. Thank you. Happy to be uh, be part of the show. Susan, um, you left a lucrative, uh, demanding job in investment banking where you specialize in health care and insurance to start Meals to Heal uh, a few years ago. Actually, 2012 is when you officially launched. What was the inspiration behind this? So um, the inspiration behind starting Meals to Heal and leaving my nearly 20-year career on Wall Street was the loss of a dear friend of mine to a brain tumor, a glioblastoma. And my friend Eric uh, struggled with nutritional issues during uh, his treatment. And it really struck me that he wasn't getting the support of the medical community or really any direction from the medical community with respect to his, his own nutrition. And as somebody who's been very interested in and involved in nutrition my whole life, this struck me as, as odd, and so what I did is I went to the literature because as any good healthcare person knows, 
that's where you go to find out what's really based on science and, and not on hearsay and anecdote. And what I found was astounding. And the facts are really compelling. Up to 80% of cancer patients experience nutritional issues, so Eric wasn't alone. This is a very common problem. Malnutrition is the number two secondary diagnosis in cancer patients, and a third of all cancer deaths are due to severe malnutrition. So it's a pervasive problem in the cancer population. And the other thing that I found was that there were really three major impediments to proper nutrition. The first was treatment side effects, uh, things like mouth sores, difficulty swallowing, diarrhea, constipation, all of those side effects that you associate with cancer patients really impede um, getting proper nutrition. Either it makes uh, it difficult to eat or you just don't want to eat because the side effects are so severe. The second major impediment that I found was that there's an overwhelming amount of information out there that is just uh, available on the Internet. There's too much information, most of which is not safe or evidence-based. It's confusing. It's frustrating. It's overwhelming. Um, it's frightening to patients and caregivers. And I watched Eric and his parents and brother struggle with uh, all this information that was on the Internet. And the third impediment is that 80% of cancer patients never see a dietitian even once, despite the fact that nutritional issues are addressed and nutritional problems are, are assisted with the fact uh, when nutritional counseling uh, is present. So with that and with those three major impediments, I said, I'm going to start a company that helps people like Eric and his family get proper nutrition by helping address those three major impediments. And so what we do is we provide three services. We provide home-delivered meals that are customized according to the patient's specific nutritional side effects and eating preferences. We also curate evidence-based information and resources, and we, lastly, we provide telephonic nutritional coaching services through a team of 12 oncology-registered dietitians and nurses. So it's food, it's information, and it's nutritional counseling. That's really terrific because I can tell you the worst thing you can do as a caregiver or a patient is to go and try to find the information yourself on the Internet. Uh, you will find misinformation because a lot of the uh, a lot of the information that's quote research is you know you know mirrors and masks people selling products, yeah. and it can be very very scary. Uh, it took you time. You did a lot of research, and you also volunteered at Memorial Sloan Kettering. Um, you know, talk to me a little bit about the process because I mean, it, this is a big effort that you set up. Yes. Um, well, it's, um, I do like to say it's a labor of love. Um, it's something that I'm very, very committed to, and we are a mission-driven business. And, and I wanted to do it the right way, so I did take my time, as you say, and, and did a lot of research. And so I started working on the business plan and the research um, for, the, for the business in 2011, and we didn't actually launch officially until the end of 2012. Um, but in doing that research, in addition to going to the evidence-based findings, I also did, as you mentioned, volunteer at uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center here in New York City uh, in the pediatric division. And I learned a lot there, not only about patients, but I learned about caregivers. And as this is National Caregiver Month, I think it's important to also talk a little bit about those issues. And I just want to take a little bit of an aside here and tell you what I learned about the nutritional issues 
of cancer caregivers. There was a, there was a study that came out um, at about the time I was starting the business plan, writing the business plan and researching the business plan, and it looked at the health behaviors of caregivers who are um, caregiving for someone with cancer. And what they found was that their health behaviors, health-related behaviors, things like eating right, exercising, drinking alcohol, their behaviors declined dramatically over the course of the illness. And in fact, five years after the diagnosis and the completion of treatment um, on, on the patient's part, five years after that was over, their unhealthy behaviors continued to the point that they might have a secondary illness like the development of diabetes or even a cancer themselves. So it's a real issue in the caregivers. So that's just a bit of an aside that I wanted to make sure I, I got that point across. Um, but back to the research. So I did the research at Sloan Kettering, uh, working with patients and caregivers, and I did uh, the, the evidence-based information and research that I did. And another interesting, it's, it's weird how life kind of throws you the things that you need sometimes. And so I quit my job on Wall Street, and I was going to start Meals to Heal. And literally two weeks after I quit my job to start Meals to Heal, my father was diagnosed with That's multiple right. myeloma, which is a cancer of the bone marrow. Mm -hmm. And he was given about four months to live, and it was a very, very bad prognosis. And so I kind of put life on hold or I put business on hold and um, spent some time with my father helping him. And, and long story short, he survived um, the treatment so much so that he was strong enough to have a bone marrow transplant. And he's now 83 years old and living very healthy. But one of the things I learned, and this became part of my research, was that uh, I felt, as a vegetarian, I felt like it was important that people become vegetarian in order to fight their, their, their cancer because that's the diet that I adhere, adhere to and, and there's a lot of good evidence with respect to plant-based diet. But one of the things I learned was that you can't expect people to completely change their diet overnight because of any sort of a diagnosis, um, not to mention a cancer diagnosis. And what's more important is that people eat healthy. They eat a well-balanced diet of micro and macronutrients. And if they're eating animal protein, which we recommend that you, that you minimize, make it hormone-free, antibiotic-free, grass-fed, and, and really the healthiest type of protein that you can get. And my father was a meat eater, and, and I learned this because he, he, just, he couldn't get his head around changing his diet. So one of the things I also learned was you have to meet people where you are. And so one of the things that we always like to recommend to caregivers is to really understand where the patient is and try to meet them where they are. Um, and likewise, as a caregiver, meet yourself where you are. Take care of yourself as well. Well, it's a little bit of bio-individuality. I mean, you can't change everyone's habits completely, and some people need, I mean, I have a very good friend, Melanie. She needs, I stopped eating meat. She needs meat. We talked about mm -hmm. it. She, we, we, we both changed our diet in different ways, but she still needs to have that meat in her protein where I, I mean, of course, I'll eat, I eat roast chicken. I just had roast chicken, and I eat fish, but I will not read red meat, but I had other reasons for not eating it. I just started to detest it after chemo. Um, but you have to respect that. And it's hard for the caregiver because, you know, all the caregiver wants to do is take care of you. I'll never forget my husband, David, spent hours uh, out of Rebecca Katz's 
um, Cancer Fighting Kitchen book, which is a terrific book, he made this veal stock stew that I refused to eat. It just was, it tastes, it was like cow sweat to me. And he kept trying to, he kept trying to feed it to me. And all I could see was the, the part of the animal he left on the counter. And he had to throw it all out. But um, you have to understand, you know, but he was trying so hard. And I think, I think that, it, it, would you say you need to have a dialogue that care? I mean, what are some, and here I'd, I want Jessica to weigh in as a, what are some things, I do want to go straight right now and we'll go back to Mills and Hill, the caregiver, what are some things that you need to consider? Because all the caregiver wants to do is just make things right, but it's not that easy to do. Right. Well, I think dialogue, dialogue is probably the first and most important step. And, and right. to remember, um, you know, you have to communicate um, with each other. And, and it's, it's, it's interesting because as part of my research, one of the other things I found from oncologists was that one of the biggest issues, and social workers, one of the biggest issues they find is that there's a lot of conflict around mealtime. Um, and so really trying to de- defuse the tension and try to understand where the patient is is really important. And I think, um, Jessica, I know you have a lot to say here, so I'm going to um, let you jump in as well. <laughs> Jessica, yeah, you know, what are and- some things we can do? What can the caregiver do? I know it was conflict with me because... I didn't want to eat. I was afraid, and I'm a food professional. I was afraid to eat because I feared throwing up. I didn't want to throw up. So I got very obstinate about my eating. What are some things that you would recommend that a caregiver should do? You know, it it can be very challenging because, of course, uh, we want our loved ones and those that we're helping to feel as best possible and get healthy as quickly as possible. So what better way to do that, right, with food? And we're used to kind of sitting around a table and, and that's the center of our, our time together. So when that's interrupted and your loved one doesn't want to eat, it's, it's, it's painful to you, too, to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think one of the most important things, and, and Susan kind of resonated this as well, is sometimes you kind of have to take a step back and, and have a little bit of patience. There, go, there are going to be ups and downs. There's going to be good meals. And there's going to be meals where they're maybe not so good. Um, but there's definitely some strategies and tips that I've found helpful and my patients have found helpful. One thing, um, cancer patients tend to get really overwhelmed with large portions. Mm -hmm. So what I often recommend to my patients is to use an appetizer-sized plate or even, you know, kind of a smaller-sized plate at mealtime rather than a normal meal-sized plate because that tends to make it less overwhelming for the patient. Um, they, they look at it as something that's more achievable to eat and, you know, hey, I, I, can, I can try this. I can try to finish this plate because it's not, it's not as overwhelming for them. So that's something mm-hmm. that people have found really helpful. Another thing is kind of thinking outside the box. It, it may not be the normal breakfast, lunch, and dinner anymore. It may be more of just kind of grazing throughout the day. So I always recommend that the caregivers have snacks handy and, you know, really food-ready, little little mini snacks ready for when they might have an opportunity or, or you know, an, op- an, an opening when their loved one says, hey, you know what, I, you know, I'm, I can try something now. So keeping nutrient-dense snacks on hand, things like cheese and crackers, peanut butter and toast, um, trail mix is great, even a homemade trail mix. I recommend my patients do that all the time. You mm-hmm. know, a bag with some nuts and some, um, some dry cereals, some dried fruit is a great um, shelf-stable snack to have on hand. Um, and so to try to kind of encourage them that way um, is a lot a lot less stressful on you, number one, and kind of a lot less stressful and kind of more 
um, not, not as intimidating for the cancer patient. So um, that's kind of, you know, really how I try to focus it. Well, you know, I believe in smaller plates for life. I mean, most of us eat larger portions anyway. And I will also say, I just want to aside here as well, that both Susan and Jessica um, were very important contributors to my book, Getting Things Off My Chest, A Survivor's Guide to Staying Fearless and Fabulous in the Face of Breast Cancer. I had a, a fairly large section on Looking at the book, you have some very interesting, t- I mean, Meals to Heal provides a wonderful section of resources for caregivers, and I'm looking at the tips that are in my book that Susan and Jessica provided about how you need to um, be active uh, meeting with, you know, the caregiver needs to meet with the registered dietitian and, and how to plan for meals and be um, flexible and patient. What are some, uh, also sanity, uh, sanity, 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 yes, but sanitization is important and, and, and there's some issues there. Talk to me about that, um, you know, uh, such as uh, handling different kinds of food, uh, cleaning the cutting board, going out, going out with um, your uh, loved one. What are some things to consider there? Yeah, food safety is definitely more important. And the reason for that is that a cancer patient's immune system is often affected by the treatment, so they're much more susceptible to bacteria and pathogens that can be in their foods. And so the things we commonly take for granted mm-hmm. that may not necessarily affect us can quite be quite dangerous to a cancer patient. So um, as you mentioned, definitely starting off at home, just being more aware of kind of avoiding cross-contamination. So you don't want to use, let's say, the same cutting board or the same surface area to prepare raw raw meat um, and and then cut your vegetables or, you know, especially raw vegetables on the same same surface because obviously the bacteria can can, um, transmit that way. And most importantly, always wash your hands well, keep surfaces clean. I always recommend use the dishwasher, use the sanitize button as much as you can because, you know, you don't want to take a chance always um, be sure to clean things in the highest heat because that can make sure to get rid of, you know, any anything that might be lingering. You also want to remember um, what we call the danger zone. So that's the range of temperatures where bacteria can grow more rapidly, and that's between 40 degrees Fahrenheit and 140 degrees Fahrenheit. So essentially, if you keep it cold below 40 in the refrigerator or even in the freezer, or keep it heated above 140, essentially when you're cooking your food, um, those are great because bacteria don't really thrive at those temperatures. But if food is sitting out for too long and kind of creeps into that danger zone, that's when there's more of a chance that, that bacteria is going to grow and multiply and you know you have more of a chance of getting sick. So that's extra important when you're um, thinking about like large gatherings where you have food sitting out for quite some time or especially in the, the warmer summer months where food can warm up and kind of get to room temperature more quickly. Um, especially when you're traveling, going back and forth from the grocery store, you know, just kind of be mindful to keep things in the proper temperature. If you have to travel a long way, you may want to bring a cooler bag. Same thought goes if you're visiting someone in the hospital, in that kind of setting. Let's say, you know, you want to bring uh, your favorite lasagna and, you know, it's something that the, the person in the hospital is really craving. You don't necessarily want to bring it hot if you're traveling a very far distance because then it could potentially cool down to a point where it's getting into that danger zone on the way 
to the hospital. My, I actually recommend mm-hmm. most of my patients that they actually prepare it the night before so that it's nice and cold, and then all you have to do is put in a nice ice pack, put it in a cooler bag, bring it to the hospital cold, and then this way you can really reheat it to the proper temperature at the hospital. So that's usually what we recommend. And, you know, different hospitals have different guidelines in terms of whether or not you're allowed to have outside food and, and whatnot. But um, so, of course, you know, make sure to discuss that with your healthcare team and your registered dietitian. But, you know, it's just something people don't always think of as well, you know. Yeah, I didn't even though you could bring food, I had one of those bouquets delivered and it rancid on me, so I wouldn't even recommend that. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, I think I think personally, as someone who was in the hospital, you know, don't send any food. In fact, don't send anything because you got to take it out. You know, you're not even supposed to be in the hospital that long. They kick you out as soon as possible. Um, and too many people bring sugar and uh, candies and things that the patient really shouldn't and couldn't be eating. What are some... Um, Jessica, some healthy snacks. You know, everybody want. You know, everybody wants to bring you everything when you're when you're going through. And we're not gonna. You know, I'm just talking about all illnesses. When you're in the hospital, it's like everybody wants to bring something, and most of it's the wrong thing to bring. What are the? You say your top recommendations for healthy, bring to the patient snacks or foods that are easy for the caregiver to then also heat up and serve or chill down. So in terms of snacks, I think like the trail mix that I mentioned earlier is a great one mm-hmm. because it can be customized to the preferences of the cancer patient. So you can put in right. their favorite, um, let's say, um, whether it be like a, a low-salt pretzel or favorite dry cereal, favorite mm-hmm. dried fruit, whether it's apricots or raisins. Um, and then you can even put some nuts in there, sprinkle some coconut. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some fun ways to make it really colorful but yet very nutrient-dense and healthy at the same time. And then you can also translate mm-hmm. those ingredients into a homemade granola bar if you'd like as well. There's some great um, homemade granola bars out there that have, have a lot of good fiber and you know are very, very healthy, don't have a lot of added sugar, unnecessary preservatives or additives. So that's a really a kind of fun way to bring somebody something that's, you know, kind of bring a smile to their face. Um, in terms of meals... I think, you know, generally we like to share something that's comforting. So a lot of times, like a really nourishing soup. And I know, Mel- Melanie, you loved, you know, your magic mineral broth and, and all the things mm-hmm. that brought comfort to you. Um, so certainly a nourishing soup that has some good, um, you know, colorful vegetables and beans and grains, you know, whatever the person can tolerate um, is a great a great gift of food. Well, I think um, that's important to tolerate because I loved, I didn't, love David's Miracle Broth because it was veal stock, but I liked Melanie's Miracle Broth, which is vegetables. But I developed a lactose intolerance that lives with me today. Uh, and I'm, I'm a heavy cheese eater. I was a heavy cheese eater. Now I, I, if I eat cheese, I get ill, um, particularly cow cheese. So I think it's important to also uh, discuss with the, both the patient the caregiver what the patient can tolerate. Because, and also uh, certain visual things are off-putting for me, Campari, because one of the drugs I took was adriamycin, the red devil, it's red, and to this day, I can't look at or stand the cider smell of Campari, and um, that'll live with me probably forever, and that's probably why I don't eat red meat, because it's that red thing going on. So I want to know how um, meals to heal delivers meals. I'd like to talk a little bit about how that works. How are how are the meals developed and tailored and then what is, you know, how does one sign up for 
the uh, is it a is it a, it's a pricing plan because I know because I've been on the site and it's actually very reasonable. But let's talk about that. Sure. So what we've done is we have about 175 different meal choices. And what, what we do is patients, uh, go online, they go to meals-to, that's T-O, not the number two, meals-to-heal.com, and then they click on order now, and they'll provide us with information. So patients tell us a little bit of, of information about what their diagnosis is, what their, um, what drugs they're on, if they have any comorbid conditions, uh, what their eating preferences are, so are they vegetarian, something like that, and what, importantly, this is the most important thing, what their side effects are. And then based on that, we recommend menu choices that are best suited to help them manage the specific side effects that they're experiencing and also to help meet whatever um, dietary preferences that they have. Based on that, uh, the menu will populate and it will say, you know, for Monday we recommend this, for Tuesday we recommend that, and it goes, you know, it goes through what the recommendations are depending on what plan you select. However, patients, and this is something that I learned, patients can select whatever meals they want, and this is one of the things that I learned in my experience with my father, which is uh, it's important to allow people to have choice because they'll, they will eat what they want to eat and they're not going to eat what they don't want to eat. So even if, uh, let's say, kit, chicken cacciatore is best for a specific side effect, if, if, the, if the patient hates chicken cacciatore, he's not gonna, he or she's not going to eat it, and that kind of defeats the whole purpose of getting uh, proper nutrients into them in the first place. So they retain, the important thing here is that they retain choice. Once they decide upon what they want to eat, then the... Uh, the menu items go to the culinary center. The culinary center prepares packages and delivers the meals via FedEx ground to the patient's home. The meals are fresh, not frozen, and um, they have about 14 to 18 day refrigerated shelf stable life without having to add any uh, additives or preservatives. You can choose seven entrees, 10 entrees, 15 entrees, or 21 entrees depending on what your needs are and what your caregiving situation is. And we have people who order just seven entrees because they just need dinner for seven nights a week, but they're fine for breakfast and lunch um, on their own. And then we have other people who need seven days' worth of breakfast, lunch, and dinner um, week in and week out. And so they're going to order the 21 entrees. So it really depends on what the patient's needs are, what their caregiving situation is, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Um, one of the things that we do that I that I neglected to mention earlier is that we have a gift certificate program, and we, that has been very very popular with friends and family members of patients. And so, uh, gift certificates can be ordered on our website as well, and then an email is sent to the patient saying so-and-so has purchased a gift certificate for you in the amount of whatever, and then they can redeem the gift certificate for their uh, for for meals, and um, uh, you mentioned the price is reasonable. It works out to anywhere between seven to fifteen dollars per entree, including shipping and handling. Uh, so depending on whether you order the seven entrees or the twenty-one entrees, the pricing is a little bit different just because there are some fixed costs associated with it, and they get spread over more or less meals, and that's the differential in the price. Well, I you know I'm on the website now. I mean, first of all, the food photography, the the the, the menus and the dishes look really good. I mean, they're they're not you know you think about 
meals being delivered and you're like, mm, is it going to be like, you know, in aluminum or whatever? They all look great. You know, they all look great. And you've got, um, you say your most popular plan is the five-day plan, three meals, two snacks each day, 15 total meals, 10 snacks, $8 per meal snack. I mean, that's, you can't, you can't really get anything like that, a whole meal. I mean, I mean, and, and when you factor in the time it takes. And what this is great for is, is that um, often the caregiver is holding down a job and doesn't necessarily have time to come home and prepare a meal and also tend to the patient. And I, I, I know what my own mother went through with this and many people I know have gone through this. I mean, it's, it, it's exhausting. So to know that they can have something that is nourishing and prepared is a godsend. And the yeah. gift certificate is a great idea because I got to tell you, the last thing I needed when I was going through cancer was another pink bathrobe or socks. You know? <laughs> You know, I mean, you know, giving the, and, and or the wrong kind of food. I, I remember somebody gave me canned soup, you know, high in sodium. And and to give someone a gift certificate for a nourishing meal is, is wonderful because, you know, it'll be one that is appropriate for that person. Um, I know that uh, Meals to Heal is focused on cancer nutrition, but could anyone who is facing an, a debilitating illness or perhaps an elderly person um, also be part of the meal plan? Oh, absolutely. And we actually do have people who are not cancer patients um, who order our meals. So right now the, um, the, the recommendation engine that we have is, is focused on the specific side effects that cancer patients are experiencing. But anyone can call and talk to one of our 12 dietitians and nurses and talk about what their specific needs are. So we've had um, diabetics talk to us, um, renal patients, um, elderly people. Um, uh, we've had a couple of, of, um, of um, caregivers who've called and, and they have elderly parents and they're concerned that the parents aren't eating and so they've they purchased meals for them. We will, uh, in 2015 start to, to move into some other uh, categories of conditions like our dialysis renal patients. Uh, we're, we're looking at heart disease and diabetes as well, um, but we really want to be focused on oncology through the rest of this year, and then, and then we'll start to think about those other, the other lines where we would actually add dietitians for renal condition, for heart condition, for diabetes, uh, to provide the nutritional counseling as well. But our dietitians are all, not only are they registered dietitians, they're registered oncology dietitians, so that RD credential that they have qualifies them for all these other conditions as well. That's the CNO, right? Uh, certified nutritional uh, CSO is, is CSO. for the oncology, yeah. Right. And I think that's important because, um, first of all, I do, you know, I do recommend that anyone who is going through any kind of debilitating illness, uh, whether it's cancer or MS, anything, if, if your hospital or center has, you know, you have to ask because doctors are not there to like give you this information. But, and if, if, if you 
have the opportunity and if you ask, do you provide free nutrition services, take advantage of it because what I also learned and what you will obviously concur is that the medications you take um, can be affected by what you eat and um, often you have to understand whether you need to have a full stomach with a medication or not and um, if there's anything you shouldn't be eating when you're on it. Uh, And I learned that because I knew to ask those questions and where I was treated, Memorial Sloan Kettering has a wonderful program, but most people don't know to ask that and unfortunately they start eating diets that don't really um, complement their medication they're taking. Uh, Jessica, what are some things that you would suggest uh, are there certain um, thing you know? Are there certain foods that are you, what I call red flag foods that you really should not be looking at or consuming when you're going through any kind of cancer treatment, particularly chemo? And on the flip side, are there that you know you hear superfoods? Are there real superfoods that really can help? And knowing that food, foods are not cure all, but a, a wholesome, healthy diet certainly is conducive to um, better health. Oh yeah, absolutely. I would say you know obviously most importantly. You know, the foods that are not giving you any added benefit, so we, we like to call them empty calories, right? So mm-hmm. uh, overly processed foods, foods with a lot of additives, very high sugar foods, like you mentioned before, the cakes, the cookies, the sweets, the candies, Ugh. they're not giving you any added nutrition and, and, in fact, you know, are actually taking away your nutrition at the same time. So we definitely don't focus on those foods and try to encourage patients to stick with the nutrient-dense foods. And at the same time, you also want to kind of take a step back and avoid the foods that are going to potentially aggravate your symptoms. So, you know, we all know a lot of times chemotherapy can cause digestive discomfort, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, constipation, etc. So you might want to really take a step back and avoid all the really greasy, heavy, fried, spicy, fatty foods that maybe once were part of your diet that really will not agree with you during your treatment. So you kind of want to focus on something more healthful, more simple, um, more well-balanced, and more nutrient-dense. So some of the foods I focus on, and actually one of the most important things that I teach my patients about is the importance of good protein. Um, Whether or not you're a vegetarian or a meat eater, you know, I educate patients on how to include a good source of protein at each meal. And the reason why that is so important is that that's what your body needs as the building blocks for healing, especially during cancer treatment. So we always focus on good, high-quality protein. And then we obviously encourage the color, the rainbow, so the Mm -hmm. importance of plant-based foods. And I know, Melanie, Susan, you're both big proponents of this as well. And the reason why that's so important is that the plant-based foods, what we like to call the foods from nature, the foods nature created, are the foods that give us those antioxidants, phytonutrients, things that help fight the cancer. And I have a great analogy that I often, you know, kind of tell people about when I talk about the wonders of plant foods. And if you think of your body as a nice, clean, white, tailored shirt that you have a stain, you'd want to clean that shirt right away to avoid it, you know, looking damaged or starting to look worn. So if you think of your body the same way, the antioxidants and phytochemicals in our diet from plant foods are like our body's detergent. They're our body's way to kind of get rid of the damage, and that's why it's 
so, so important to include a variety of different plant foods, all different colors, you know, purple eggplant, blue from blueberries, green from peppers, and red from bright tomatoes or strawberries, you know, the, the more the better. And obviously, you know, during treatment, I know sometimes you might have days where things are a little off, you might not necessarily tolerate the raw stuff as well, but it doesn't mean you still can't fit in a lot of good color from like a soup or a stew or a casserole. But that's always so important in, you know, really achieving a good cancer-fighting diet. So, you know, if you're not eating meat um, what we, and you don't want eggs because a lot of people don't like the smell of them during treatment, um, what are some alternative proteins that you would suggest? Well, so we use, I use a lot of nut butters. I tend to use, um, you know, if you're not, if you're somebody who doesn't tolerate a lot of the animal proteins, you can also um, substitute things like tofu and soy proteins, which ironically sometimes are better tolerated simply because it's kind of generally more of like a blander, um, kind of simpler food than something as heavy that right. has a lot of the saturated fat that comes along with animal protein. Um, and then, you know, sometimes patients can tolerate beans. It, it depends on whether or not they're kind of um, sensitive to, to gas-producing foods, so we'll kind of use those in moderation as well. Um, and then depending on whether or not they can tolerate dairy or if not, sometimes we'll also use that um, as a source of protein. You know, kind of adding a slice of cheese can easily add calories or protein if you're able to tolerate that. I know, Melanie, you said the lactose was a problem. So, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll focus on lactose-free products. Um, but, you know, kind of achieve a good balance for each individual patient. And, and I can't stress enough, as you've both pointed out already, the importance of, you know, getting individualized recommendations from a registered dietitian because it really is invaluable. Yeah, I can't emphasize that enough. I think, you know, doctors are there to treat your disease, but they're not there to dispel and provide nutritional information. And it really, that's when the patient has to be his or her own advocate and ask because it can make a big difference. In my own case, um, because I am a food professional, it was imperative that I understand it because I had to radically change my diet. Um, I was determined to use the time during cancer to change it because I wanted to stay healthy. And the result was that I actually got healthier during treatment and actually looked better and felt better and realized that I wanted to live that way the rest of my life. And that has inspired me at my own to train as a health coach to help other cancer patients as they pursue their own survivorship to stay healthy. And many of the things, uh, Jessica and Susan, that you're talking about doing um, during cancer treatment are really practical ways to manage your nutrition on the long haul. You know, eat a plant-based diet, eat the rainbow, have, avoid processed food and artificial ingredients, watch your sugar intake uh, and extreme fatty foods. Although fat is good for you, you have to have healthy fats. And that was what I learned is that that's the diet you should be having all along that I know I wasn't having and now I adhere to. Um, What are your thoughts about um, fats? and how to manage that because one of the things you are told is avoid fatty foods, but I think we need to differentiate fatty foods with healthy fats. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, so, of course, we have our saturated fats, which are, you know, found. that's basically any fat that's solid at room temperature. So if you think of like a well-marbled, not to bring up a sore subject, Melanie, but a well-marbled piece of red meat that has like the, the white part. <laughs> 
um, that's, 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 there's saturated fat right there for you. So, um, and that's mm-hmm. the kind that clogs our arteries. So that's the kind we want to avoid as well as trans fat. And the reason why trans fat also can, has the same effect as yeah. saturated fat is because trans fat is hydrogenated and actually changes the shape of the fat to be very similar to saturated fat. So it's from hydrogenated vegetable oils as well. So you want to stay away from those two, you know, minimize them as much as possible. And the omega-3 fats and the unsaturated fats in our diet, things, uh, basically the plant fats. So um, all of our healthy plant oils, our flax, our nuts, our walnuts, our almonds, mm-hmm. um, omega-3 fats from things like fish, especially fatty fish like salmon, tuna, mackerel. Those are the kind of fats that actually have heart-healthy properties and can keep our, you know, basically keep our hearts healthy. They reduce inflammation. They have anti-inflammatory properties, so they can keep our bodies in a very, um, you know, cancer-protective um, environment. So they're just numerous health benefits to really switching toward the healthy fats and reducing the unhealthy fats as much as you can. Yeah, I think, I think it's important to, to underscore that we should not fear fat. Fat can be very good for us. It has to be the right kind of fat. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I've been learning that through my own education now. I've, I've stopped fearing fat. Um, and the other one that, you know, is, is um, sugar and artificial sugars and alternative sugars. Uh, it's probably better to have an authentic sugar, a real sugar, than an artificial one. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, the, obviously the artificial, I mean, I think the name artificial says it all. Um, right. It's not necessarily something that our bodies are meant to metabolize or use or, you know, we don't know the, necessarily know the long, long-term health effects of those either. So um, it's, you know, if in any way you can make a smart choice to use something, once again, plant-based, natural. So think of like something like honey rather mm-hmm. than, than grabbing like the the aspartame or something, you know, that's that's. Or, or very high yeah. sugar or high fructose corn syrup or things like that or something like an agave or a natural sugar is a much better choice for you. I've been dabbling in maple syrup. Of it. Yeah, oh, maple yeah. syrup is one that uh, Dr. Andrew Wild's been recommending, maple syrup. Um, and I've actually been sweetening with mashed bananas and coconut. That's great. Yeah, and doing things like that. Um, it goes a long way, you know. It, it goes yeah. a lot, a lot farther when you do it that way. Well, yeah, learning to to do with less. Um, yep. It's it's really really important. Now, um, meals to heal recently as part of. I mean, it's November is it's a power packed month. It's uh, National Family Caregivers Month. It's also National Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month, and I think it's Colon Cancer Awareness Month. Correct me if I'm wrong. You just, uh, Meals to Heal just launched a big initiative this week with the Pancreatic Cancer Network, and tell me, tell me about that. Sure. So, um, so it's one of a number of initiatives that we're working on, and, and the, the major initiatives are really focused on three things. They're focused on access, so help, helping patients and caregivers get better access to proper nutrition. The second is on education. So we feel like part of our mission is to educate people about proper nutrition during cancer treatment. And the last is affordability. So um, the first of these initiatives is with the with Celgene, which is a pharmaceutical company that makes a uh, drug called Abraxane, which is not only for pancreatic cancer patients but for breast cancer patients. I had it. I know you did. <laughs> I remember that. Yes. Um, and so Celgene, the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network, 
and Meals to Heal, and Chef, Chef Michael Ferraro from Delicatessen Restaurant in New York teamed up to do a couple of things on the education front for pancreatic cancer patients. And so uh, Jessica and Michael uh, worked on creating some recipes that are helpful for pancreatic cancer patients' specific side effects. We also, Meals to Heal also created some nutrition uh, tips and side effect management uh, tips for pancreatic cancer patients. And then we also uh, created some three different cooking videos that uh, align up with the recipes that we created. And this is, this is the launch. The launch was last Thursday, uh, but it's the launch of a year-wide uh, pancreatic cancer um, nutrition education awareness program. So we're really excited about working with them, and we hope that we can, we can help those who are struggling and fighting uh, pancreatic cancer to, uh, to get proper nutrition and to help them, help them manage their side effects, which, um, which oftentimes are very severe uh, with pancreatic cancer patients. I think that's wonderful because, um, you know, as the granddaughter of somebody who had pancreatic cancer, um, I think about it a lot. It's always in the back of my mind what I can do nutritionally to help reduce my risk of getting it because um, I am at risk. And I think that this is a great program. Now, you're also working with Walgreens on some things? Yeah, so we have, so on those other initiatives, the access, education, and affordability, we're also working with um, Walgreens, and we're working with a number of health plans. Harvard Pilgrim Health Plan is one. That's a, that's mm-hmm. a Northeastern-based uh, health plan. And, what, mm-hmm. and those, those relationships um, address both the, the access, well, all three of the access, the education, and the affordability. So what we've mm-hmm. done with the health plans in Walgreens is help patients not only get access to Meals to Heal and learn about Meals to Heal, but also from an affordability perspective, um, we offer their, their customers or, in the case of the health plan, their members uh, uh, discounts mm-hmm. for being a member or being a Walgreens customer. And so you can go to Walgreens' website um, and, um, and benefit from the Walgreens discount. And if you're a member of Harvard Pilgrim Health Plan, for example, you can benefit from their, uh, their discount. Um, the third initiative that we've been working on really focuses on affordability because we know that people who are going through cancer treatment often encounter financial issues. So we have teamed up yes. with a, a number of financial advocacies in addition to our gift certificate program. And one of those is a West Coast one uh, called One Flap Down, and they, um, they help uh, people who have cancer, in this case, uh, single parents who have been diagnosed with cancer and who have financial issues. They help them with financial assistance, and um, in this case, they work with us on the meals. So it's really access, education, and affordability are, the, are underlying all of these strategic initiatives that we, uh, we are undertaking. Well, I think that's really important because, uh, yes, cancer is extremely, any disease, and especially cancer treatment, is expensive. Even if you have a lot of money, you will have a lot less money when you're going through cancer. And a proper, healthy diet, and I don't mean diet as in dieting, but a healthy diet should not be what is given up in the process. 
Um, Absolutely. As important as the drugs and the treatment you're taking as is exercise and hydration and stress management. We have about two more minutes and then um, I'm going to have to wrap up and do my promos at the end. Uh, First of all, how, uh, what um, can people find on your website? And and again, let's repeat your website and how to follow you and do your social media here and what you offer that people can find for free. Okay, so um, so our website is meals-to-heal.com, and on that website, in addition to a great uh, under our resource tab, there's a, there's just a number of free resources that we provide to you there. We also teamed up with the Livestrong and the American Institute for Cancer Research and created a free nutrition guide that is just a wonderful. 34-page free guide that patients can download as a PDF off of our website. And so that's under meals-to-heal.com forward slash nutrition-guide, so nutrition guide under our website. Uh, in terms of social media, on Facebook, we're facebook.com forward slash meals-to-heal, and that's meals-to-heal, uh, no spaces. On Twitter, we're at Meals to Heal, but in this case, it's the number two, so at Meals number two, Heal. Um, and our uh, 800 number is 888-721-1041. And the other that thing one I would leave time. you... Okay, yeah, sure. It's repeat 888 888-721-1041. Perfect. Okay. And um, look for a cookbook in 2015. We are uh, we have completed a cookbook and we'll be publishing it in 2000 and releasing it in 2015. That's wonderful. There's never enough cookbooks on this topic and another of help. Susan Bratton and Jessica Iannota of Meals to Heals. I want to thank you very much for being on the show. Um, we uh, hope that anyone listening will look up MealsToHeal.com and take advantage of the wonderful information and services that this company offers. So thank you very much. Thank you, Melanie. It's my pleasure. All right. Um, I am going to just use the last part of the show to uh, bring up a few things. First of all, both Susan and uh, Jessica, again, were very important uh, to my book, Getting Things Off My Chest, A Survivor's Guide to Staying Fearless and Fabulous in the Face of Breast Cancer, which is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Books and Things, and just won its second National Book Award for Cancer Topics. So I'm very thrilled about that. And I also want to mention that my new book, Fearless, Fabulous You, Lessons on Living Life on Your Terms is out and available. It's a great under $15 gift for anyone who wants to turn their life around and uh, really boost their self-esteem. My show next week will... Well, first of all, I want to just talk talk about Wednesday's show on the Connected Table with my husband, David Ransom, where we interview food and beverage industry people. We're going to be saluting New York State with uh, the New York State Wine and Grape Foundation and Warwick Winery and Distillery, and that will be a terrific show uh, Wednesday at 2 p.m. before Thanksgiving. Uh, Tune in next week. For this fabulous, we'll have Carla Marie Greco, a psychologist who was in my book, and the founder of Yushik, uh, Christine Garten of Yushik, uh, who's doing a wonderful program to help women. This is Melanie Young for Fearless Fabulous You. I want to thank you and hope you have a fabulous week. 